Generations Church, good morning. I'm glad you could join us. Would you, if you have a Bible with you, turn to Exodus chapter 5. I want to ask a question today as we get started. How can we use this time of struggle to learn about God in ways that we couldn't in simpler times? And so we've been looking at Exodus. We're looking at this season where Israel is enduring hardship and then God will take them out into the wilderness and then they will endure hardship again. And so it's not as simple as, well, one thing gets fixed and it's super easy, but rather God working with his people in the midst of their struggles and trials to reveal himself in a new way. And so if you're a note taker today, uh, here is the main idea. Omniscience, meaning God all-knowing. God who knows all things uses tomorrow for his glory and for our good. God not only knows the future, but he causes it by his power. So we've been working on some character of God issues. So we started with omnipresence, all present, present everywhere at all times. And then last Sunday was omnipotent, all powerful. And today we talk about the omniscience or the all-knowing God. God that knows everything, even the future and causes it for his glory and our good. Will you pray with me and we will get started. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to gather both digitally and in person. And God, as we meet with all the folks that are live streaming, whether they're live streaming here locally and uh, are doing this for health reasons or maybe they're out of the area, whatever it might be, I pray that we would be a community. I pray that we would be connected, Lord, even in our distance, that we would come together, Lord. So thank you for the opportunity of the internet, of live streaming, of uh, just all that you have blessed this generation with. Even though we go through the challenges of coronavirus, you have given us online alternatives, Lord, and I am grateful. And so as we gather this morning, would you speak? Lord, will you pour out your spirit on us? Help us to hear your words from you, Lord. Let me, again, as always, fade into the background and allow you to speak. God, you are good, and we desire to hear from you. So we we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 5, we're starting in verse 1. It says, Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. So here's where we left off. Moses has been, uh, God has revealed himself to Moses And told Moses, Moses, I want you to go back into Egypt. I want you to tell Pharaoh, which again, Pharaoh is king of Egypt. Egypt is the most prominent empire on the planet at this moment. And so he is to go and tell Pharaoh to release the Israelites, the Hebrews that he has enslaved. And so they are his free workforce building up his gigantic cities. And he is oppressing them and persecuting. And God has heard their prayers. God is responding to their prayers. And he is doing so by sending Moses. Now, Moses is a probably less than obvious choice for leadership here. He is currently out in the desert on the run for murder, for murdering an Egyptian. He was raised in Pharaoh's palace as a, uh, as a son to the daughter of Pharaoh. So a, like a grandson, if you will, to Pharaoh. And so Moses is well known by this. He's out on the run after this murder. It's found out he's a Hebrew. He's out in the desert and God reveals himself to him. He reveals himself out of a burning bush, a bush that's on fire, but not being consumed. And God speaks and God calls Moses to go back into Egypt. And Moses resists and just does not want to be a part of this. And and 
What Moses is dealing with really is his own limitations, not believing he is capable of this job. And that was our focus last week, that God is all-powerful. God is capable when we are not. And today we look at God being all-knowing, what God knowing the future and, and causing it, so his omniscience and his omnipotence working together. So as we pick up the story, God, um, Aaron is working with Moses, that's his brother. They're going to Pharaoh. God is calling them to tell Pharaoh, let the people go. So verse one, we'll restart at the beginning. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went up and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. So clearly Pharaoh says, no, no, I'm not giving you my free workforce. No, I'm not giving you this nation I'm oppressing. Uh, and, and this is really one of the things Moses said no to God about. He's like, well, when I go to Pharaoh, he's going to say, who, who told you to go here? Who, who sent you? And that's where God revealed himself. I am. He says, I am that I am. You tell him I am sent you. And Moses says, but they're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to me. And so God says, listen, I'm going to do this. And so Moses goes, he speaks to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, no, just as Moses has thought. And says, now, who is this God? I don't know this God that you're talking about. Who is this God? And so I want to, I want to give you kind of just, I want to pause and give you a note right there in a moment. I think it's something we find ourselves in often. So Moses being right doesn't make God wrong. Moses was correct about Pharaoh's response, but he limited what God could do in response to Pharaoh. God knows what Pharaoh will do, and God will overcome it. Just because Moses was correct that Pharaoh would ask who sent him, or that Pharaoh would say no, doesn't mean that God doesn't know what he's doing in the midst of this. And, and I say that because sometimes the outcomes were like, that'll never work, God. God, I don't know. It seems like this isn't the plan. And then we'll, we'll go down that road and what we think is going to happen does happen at first. That doesn't mean God isn't with us, that God isn't guiding us or leading us. God has already told Moses, yeah, Pharaoh's going to say, no, I'm going to force him. In fact, I'm going to get them to pay you to leave. And so God has a bigger plan here. Verse 3. And then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So this is Aaron and Moses speaking to Pharaoh. Please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword, so disease or death. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. So really, Pharaoh is not letting his work be interrupted. His answer is no. He's not going to give up this free workforce, his enslaved nation that are building his cities. He's not going to just let them go. Verse 6, it says, the same day Pharaoh commanded their taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, but the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it for they are idle. Therefore their cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So just sum that up. The oppression gets harder. The, 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 the thing gets worse. The, 
The, the straw that they are using, that's been provided to them, the resources given them to do their job has now been taken from them, and they're still supposed to re- produce just as much. And so they're telling them, no, you know what, you must be so lazy that you're asking to worship God. And so instead, I'm going to require more work of you. And so just imagine the oppression is now getting worse. So behind the scenes, we have God calling a man named Moses to go into Egypt, to go back into Egypt, to tell Pharaoh to release the Hebrew slaves. And as he's doing this, Pharaoh is pushing back and he's making things harder on the people of God. And all along, they're crying out to God, God, will you come and rescue us? And God is sending someone to rescue them. In fact, Aaron and Moses have told them, listen, elders of the people of God, here's what God has said. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell Pharaoh. We're going to go in and we're going to speak to him. And when they do that, things get worse. Things get harder on them. The oppression gets worse. Their job gets harder. Sometimes it just feels like Even when God is engaging with us, it seems like life just gets more and more challenging. In the middle of multiple things right now in our nation, right, as we're in the middle of uh, coronavirus restrictions and, uh, you know, the the virus itself and the restrictions it causes, the the economic struggles that are birthed out of that. We're in the middle of a, a political season that is using race and violence and police and all that against each other and our, our cities are going crazy. I just was watching in the news and watching as Kenosha in Wisconsin, a city I hadn't really ever thought of ever, uh, has been rioting for day after day after day and people are dying in the streets and people are shooting each other and the police are just not responding and, and and the government won't even let them go in and fix it. In the midst of this, we turn on the news and we watch this and we're like, okay, it was, it was bad enough when we were wrestling through this virus thing and we didn't know what to do and there was mixed messages going on in that and then and then the presidential election runs and, and just, uh, and the death of George Floyd and, the, and just all these things take place. And it feels like as we cry out to God right now, God, like liberate us from this, God rescue us from this. It seems like sometimes things just get harder and harder. And sometimes things just get worse and worse. Verse 10, so the taskmasters of the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it but your workload will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. And the taskmasters were urgent saying, complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. Now, if you were a Hebrew slave in this moment right now, if you were in Egypt and this is what was taking place, how might you be feeling about God? Do you feel different today? about God because of the circumstances that we're enduring? That's a real question for me. I I know that there are people that are struggling in their relationship with God because of the conditions that we're in. And and maybe it's an internal struggle because of things that are going on, or maybe it's a a distant struggle, feeling disconnected from the church. Maybe it's whatever it is. Maybe it's because we feel like, okay, God, this has gone on for so long. God, where are you in this moment? And as I'm reading through Exodus, I'm just wondering... I wonder what the Hebrew slaves here are are, are thinking and feeling about God. Verse 14, And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all of your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? 
Then the, the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, and yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten. The fault is your own people. So I don't want to, I don't want to blame Israel for complaining in this moment because this is a horrible situation from them. But I, I do want to, I want to follow the story and I want to, I want to set ourselves in the place of the Hebrew slaves. And it's, it's unfair in a way because we're not that oppressed. Are we going through hard times and struggles? We are. Are we oppressed? No. Are we being persecuted by anybody? No, they are. But I want to set ourselves in their feet, if you will, just kind of walk in their shoes for a minute. And I want to see their reactions and their responses. And I, I want to ask us just, will we be willing to ask ourselves, are we doing some of these things as well? Are we prone to these same responses or reactions? And just ask ourselves, okay, where are we in this story? And I, I want to follow through the story so that the first Hebrew reaction is to, uh, it says this, behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. It's actually the first time since the book of Genesis, right? It's the, it's the first time in Exodus where we've actually seen the people of God kind of not be God-centered, not be theocentric in this moment. They're actually now starting to blame Egypt. Now, totally Egypt is to blame. Pharaoh is to blame. And the taskmasters that are beating the people, they're to blame. I, I'm not absolving them from their problem, but this is the first time that we see the Hebrew slaves react in a way that is not crying out to God for a solution. So here's a note for you. When we see the world instead of God, our tendency is to see our circumstances and our challenges and not who God is or what God is doing. Our natural tendency during struggles in life is also to get caught up in worldly solutions. Our tendency in moments like this, and this is something we've, we've talked about a ton, our tendency right now in this moment where things are going crazy in our nation is to join in alongside worldly things and worldly solutions. And for me, that's when we find ourselves so wrapped up in the politics of the moment that we're just so enraged by these things and so passionately for or against whatever or whomever. Now, what we've done is we've really bought into a human solution. Well, if the vote just goes this way, it'll fix everything. Or if the vote goes that way, it'll fix everything. Or if we just do this, or if we defund this, or fund this, or do whatever, it'll just fix the situation. But the problem is much deeper. The problem is inside humanity. It's the sin inside every one of us, but the sin in our culture. And, and we, we tend towards, okay, we're going to blame this person. And of course, in this passage, Pharaoh's to blame. We're gonna, but we're going to blame this person. And the Israelites, they start to blame in this moment. And they just join in in what we would say is just a common human, not godly, but human way of trying to solve a problem. Verse 7, it says, But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So Pharaoh says, You're just lazy, right? Verse 18, he says, go, go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you still must deliver the same number of bricks. And the foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. So how does arguing with Pharaoh and blaming them work out for them? I mean, really, it just gets worse, not better, right? Remember, this is God who knows all things. And we get so wrapped up, even in this story, we get 
And we get so caught up in the story, we forget, okay, what is it that God is doing? Exodus 4 says this, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you go before Pharaoh, or see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I put in your power. Listen to this. But I will harden his heart still, so that he will not let the people go. It's not that God isn't acting. God is acting. God is moving and acting behind the scenes. God is causing things to go the way he's designed them to go. Now, and sometimes we have to remove ourselves from the story and remember, okay, we're not Israel. We're, we're living thousands of years later in America and we're reading this passage. And even though there are parallels in our life, we know clearly they have it worse, but from the outside, what we get to see is God is orchestrating things. Even when the things are getting worse, God is moving pieces. God is making something happen. And I'm not saying that God is oppressing the people, but God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. And part of that hardening process is Pharaoh just exercising his oppression on them more. The situation's getting worse, but it's all a part of God saying, listen, I'm going to have, I'm going to have all of Egypt pay you to leave. And you came in a small family of about 70 people. And when you leave, it's going to be thousands, and you're going to be wealthy. They're going to pay you to leave Egypt. And a part of that process is this moment right here, where Pharaoh works you harder. And is it hard? Yes. Will it be worth it? Ultimately, yes. Is God engaged? Absolutely. But if you're someone right now, a Hebrew trapped in Egypt in this story, in this time, is that what you see? Probably not. It might be very challenging to see God in that moment. That's our challenge in Exodus, that we would just lift our eyes up off of our human circumstances and our human limitations and lift them up to God, that we might look around our nation today, our world today, and that we might be able to see where God is moving or engaging, what God is doing, and, and how we can be a part of what God is doing. Verse 20, it says, They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword into their hand to kill us. So this is their third response. First they, they blame others and then they argue with Pharaoh and now they blow up. I'm sorry, this is their second response. And they blow up at Moses and Aaron and they blame Moses and Aaron. Blaming those who are close to us, here's a note for you. We have a tendency to take the pain and anger out on those closest to us. Whether it's a spouse, a loved one, or a church leader like Moses, we often blame others who are not the cause of our pain. Consider Genesis 3. I, I put this in that note just so you could have it and I would remember to talk about it. But as sin enters into human history, what we get is this, this beautiful image of God creating humanity. If you're joining us in our reading plan, you're probably just getting started. And these are the opening chapters of Genesis. After creation in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God has created humanity and put them in the garden. God has made woman. They're there together. God has given them the way to faithfully live and glorify God. And they choose to go against that. And so they choose to sin. They choose to rebel against God. And the first thing that comes out of that, God looks at and says, hey, so what happened? Like, why, what, what went wrong here? Why did you do what I, I told you expressly not to do? Why, why would you disobey me? Sin had never happened. Disobedience had never happened. Brokenness had never been a part of humanity. And as God reaches out to them, 
the first thing that happens is like Adam blamed both his wife and God. And just anybody but Adam is to blame in this moment right now. And that's what's going on with the Hebrew slaves. I mean, they're reaching out. And of course, the Egyptians and Pharaoh, they are to blame. The people beating them are at fault. And the, and the king, the Pharaoh, the emperor over them is wrong. But Moses and Aaron are doing what God told them to do. And right now, they're just the recipient as they walk out from having this conversation where they're told things are just going to be worse now. Just because you've had this conversation, things are going to be worse. And they blow up at Moses and Aaron. Sometimes we take out our pain on those closest to us. Oftentimes, we take out those pains, our pain, on those closest to us. I know it's, it's if I'm frustrated or if I'm in a hurry or if I'm anything, and I, I'm most likely to, affect, to negatively affect Lisa, to take that out on her at home, though she had nothing to do with it. And sometimes just getting out of that circumstance and reminding us that this is a common human, sinful, wrong, but a human response, a common response, helps us see when we're in that moment. Verse 22, it says, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? That's Moses. Why? I didn't want to go anyhow. Why did you send me? Lord, you've done evil to this people, he says. Verse 23, he says, For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. That's a really strong statement from Moses. And just sometimes there are those moments. We just, this is what we feel, God. This is, this is where I'm at. And I know God is, is big enough to shoulder those kind of critiques and complaints. But here's the third response we see. And Moses outright blames God. Here's a note for you. When all else fails, it must be God. As Israel is forced deeper into oppression, instead of trusting in God, Moses blames God for the problems. Not once does he remember what God told him ahead of time, knowing the outcome in advance. Right? Exodus 40, verses 30 and 31. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord spoke unto Moses and did all the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and they had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads in worship, right? He doesn't go back to that moment and say, okay, remember when we worshiped God, we believed in God, we trusted in God, but God told us, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Remember when we knew God was going to do what he said he would do. And now here we are, things get hard. And first they blame others, then they blame their leaders, and now Moses is outright blaming God. God, you have not delivered them at all, he says. Exodus 6, but the Lord said to Moses, now you so see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. Listen, he says, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Right now, I've moved the pieces in place. God says, listen, I've got things to a place where now I will cause this. This is a, a major theme in Exodus, that it's in the larger struggles of life, it's in the hardships and trials of our lives that God reveals himself in new ways, that God shows up and we get to learn about God in ways that we couldn't learn about God in easier times. Now just a question for you, if God had allowed Moses to walk into Pharaoh's palace and just say, hey, listen, God said, let the people go. Will you let the people go? And just imagine in that moment, Pharaoh's like, sure, let them all go, right? Who would have gotten the credit for that? Pharaoh might have gotten the credit for letting them go. Moses might have gotten the credit for, for asking, 
But would God have received the glory of delivering the people of, of the Hebrew slaves, the, the people of Israel, out of slavery? Probably not. Now, when Pharaoh resists and God does miraculous things, things to come, through an unwilling leader like Moses, now, who gets the credit there? See, God will reveal himself in ways that it could only be God that does this. He doesn't do it in the easy, and sometimes in the temporal, in the, in the, in the, in the temporary time, sometimes it gets harder for us. And in fact, maybe a lot of times it gets harder in the moment. But God is doing something, orchestrating something, not only that will bring him glory, but it's for our good. In this story, Israel is going to come out the other side of this, a very powerful and wealthy people. So the omniscience of God, that's our theme today, the all-knowing God. Here's a note for you. God tells Israel he will deliver them after Pharaoh increases their hardship, revealing his omniscience, knowledge, and his omnipotence, what we talked about last week, his power. God knows their future and causes events to reveal himself so Israel can trust in the Lord. God is going to do things where he says, listen, this is what Pharaoh's going to do. This is how I'm going to respond. You're going to say this to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's going to say, no, I'm going to push. I'm going to force Pharaoh's hand. And then they're going to pay you to go. And God does this. And he does this so that Israel can know that he is God. So that when it happens, it happens exactly the way God said it would happen. So that the people of God can know that God is trustworthy in their next struggle. Now, I wish the rest of the book of Exodus was so simple that God forced Pharaoh's hand, they go, and they never doubt God again. But they're human, and we're human. And of course they're going to doubt God again. We're going to go into the wilderness, and as soon as it gets hard, they're going to blame God. They're going to blame Moses. They're going to blame one another, and they're going to complain again. And that will be a recurring theme in Exodus. But in each of these moments, note that God doesn't just blow up and melt down all of Israel. But rather, God meets them and continues to reveal himself in new ways, giving them reasons to trust him, knowing he is there, knowing he knows what's going on, knowing he has the power to transform. All of this will take shape, and not only doing it for them, but so that thousands of years later, as you and I can sit down and just read through this in our time together as a church and, and on Sundays and in our community groups, work through these stories of what God has done in the past, we can know that God is faithful today. So verse 2 in Exodus 6, it says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. These are incredible words being said to Moses. But by my name, the Lord, God says, I didn't reveal myself to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I revealed myself to them as God, but I have given you something special, Moses. I have told you my name. And if you look in your Bible, the way Lord is written is distinct. It's written differently. It's a large capital and the three small capitals. And the name of God given to Moses in that moment had not been revealed up until that time. There's some, there's some difference of opinion on what that might be. Is it Yahweh? Is it Jehovah? Is it Adonai? Is it a collection of those? What is it? But here's what we know for sure. God reveals himself to Moses. To Moses a guy on the run for murder in the desert who wasn't even a follower of God, who was kind of a reject from Egypt, who was Hebrew by birth, but never by practice. 
And out there in the midst of this, Moses isn't even a stellar leader. Moses is pleading with God at different moments, like, please take somebody else, use someone else. But in this moment, God reveals himself to a very broken and flawed Moses, reminding us that God reveals himself to us uniquely in ways that are important to us. You see, the gospel message often is, is communicated around you know, sin and forgiveness or, or maybe life and death and everlasting life. But this idea that God created us and loves us, designed us, made us, that we are his children, that humanity is his creation, and that God's desire is that we would be in relationship with him, but that sin has entered in and severed that relationship, like divorced us from God. But in God's overwhelming love and desire to have that relationship, God pursues humanity. God found Moses in the middle of a desert, not looking for God, and God reveals himself to Moses. God hears the prayers of Israel and is sending, them, is sending Moses back into them to care for them. God has a plan for Moses, reveals himself to Moses. God has revealed himself to you somehow, some way. You're here right now. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're just tuning in maybe for the first time, God reveals himself. Maybe that's why you're here today. But each time it happens, it's unique, and it's unique to the individual oftentimes. God is doing something personal with Moses, even though Moses is going to be a part of a larger corporate body of followers of God. He's going to be a part of Israel. But God is revealing himself uniquely to them. That Jesus lived and died and rose again is true. That Jesus lived a sinless life, one that we have failed, that's true. That Jesus died a death that we deserve and he did not, that's true. That's true for everybody. That Jesus did this, that's a historical fact. That Jesus rose again from the dead is also a well-documented historical fact. But as Jesus then makes himself real to you and to me, that becomes personal. It becomes individual and personal, even though we're grafted into a corporate body called the church. Salvation is very personal, even though it's also collectively corporate. And God does something amazing for Moses in this moment as he reveals himself and says, listen, I didn't even do this for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the founders of our faith, really. Like, this is for you, Moses. I want you to know that you've got a great big job ahead of you. I know you're not equipped for it, but I am. I want you to know I'm here. I want you to know that I'm, I'm able to do this, and I'm able to do it through you. That's what the Israelites need right, need right now. They need to know God is able to get them through this. That's what we need to know. The church in America, here's what we need to know. We need to know that God is still engaged, that God is with us now, that God is powerful now. God knows what's going on, that God has a plan. That plan is for God's glory and for our good, and that we need to be able to rest in that knowledge so God reveals himself over and over again, sometimes uniquely, sometimes collectively, but God continues to reveal himself. Verse 5 says, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. God is saying, I remember my promises made to them. I haven't forgotten. I am still here. I'm still their God. I am still the promised covenant-keeping God. I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. Listen, he says, I'm with them. I hear them. I haven't gone anywhere. We need to hear that. We need to remember that God is always with us. 
when we don't have work, when we don't have food, when we don't have church collectively, when we don't have the same things we used to have, we need to remember, we still have God. God is still here with us. Verse 6, it says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. God makes a promise again to them. He's already promised what he would do, but God is, remember, they're, they're in turmoil. They're in, in, in the middle of a the struggle. They're having a hard time. So God continues to assure them. God promises over and over, here's what I'm doing. He says, I am the Lord. I will bring you up out of the, from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will redeem you with great acts of judgment on Egypt. Listen to this. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. You will know it's me. You will know I'm acting on your behalf. So here's a note for you. God's promise fulfillment. God makes promises that require miracles to accomplish so that God's people can learn to trust him in advance. God tells what he will do, not only miraculously knowing the future, but causing the future. And the things that he promises to do require divine intervention. They are not just things humans can do, but they are God-sized solutions because they're God-sized problems. But he promises in advance and outlines, here's what I'm going to do. Here's why I'm going to do it. Here's what I'm going to do. You're going to know I'm with you. You're going to know I'm your God and that I never would leave you. Verse 8, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. God has been promising a land for this people, a land for this nation that has grown from a small family into a large nation. He's been promising them land, a promise that happened hundreds of years past to a man named Abraham. If Abraham would be faithful, if Abraham would trust in God, if Abraham would leave what he had, his family, his home, and his wealth, if he would leave that behind and go to a place that God didn't even tell him where he's going, go to a place God said, I'll show you as you go. If you'll do that, Abraham, I will bless you. And I will bless all nations through you. And this promise, this covenant of Christ, this promise of salvation starts entering into the story in big, strong themes that God is now moving to eventually bring Jesus to humanity. That God has promised this to Abraham. And along the way, he's also going to give them land, a nation, a place to be. God reiterates it to his son, Isaac, and keeps that, that covenant promise of a Savior to come. And here will be your land. And you will, you will be here and you'll tell the world about me. And to Jacob, who becomes the man Israel, who eventually goes into Egypt. And his descendants become these slaves. Now God is going to promise and does promise to take them out. And then says, I will be their God. They will be my people. And I will fulfill my promises through this people. The time is coming, God is saying, to fulfill the promises that I made generations before, telling them, I will give you this land. Verse 8, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. He says this again, I am the Lord. This language used over and over, I am the Lord. It's language that says, listen, Egypt has their gods. Well, those gods are fake. Those gods are false. Those gods are not real. They're wood and stone and things I created. I am, he keeps saying, I am the Lord. I am that I am. I am God. And there is no other. Verse 9, 
Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. There's such amazing things going on that God is doing in this passage. God is revealing himself. God is speaking. God is promising to fulfill promises to this generation that were promised generations before, but the people can't even see that. And it says that their, their spirit is broken because of harsh slavery. I think today some of us find ourselves broken, feeling like God isn't present. God isn't moving. God might have forgot about us. And maybe there's this, this declining feeling in our faith. So where do we turn in hard times? Here's a note for you. We are all prone to turn away from God and even blame Him for the hardships we endure. In trials, we must press into God rather than fall away. God uses trials to grow us and to reveal Himself to us in new ways. We need to right now turn and press into God, not run away. We need to press in, dive deeper, not drift outward. Verse 10, so the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Even Moses is doubting God in this moment. Now, Moses has seen God revealed to him miraculously, amazingly, powerfully. God has done miracles through Moses, but Moses is still reticent. He does not really want to be a part of this. He wants the benefits of it, but he doesn't really want to be that volunteer in the middle, if you will. He says, if the people don't even listen anymore, for sure Pharaoh won't. Verse 13, but the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. God says, listen, I'm using you. You may not like it. You're the one. But I will use you. I will empower you. I will use you. I will use your brother Aaron. I will use you. And you will lead the people out. And I will break Pharaoh. They can't see it right now. But God is doing this in their midst. They are struggling because of their circumstances. But God is doing this. And even though they want out, God is saying, no, listen, I'm doing it. And I'm doing it with you. Sometimes God just keeps us in the game when we want to quit. Sometimes God just keeps us in there knowing, listen, I'm going to do this through you and it's going to be worth it for you. Even when we were like, hey, I'm out. I don't want to, I don't, I'm out. So what do we learn from all this? I want to put this verse on your screen. And verse, it's in James 1. And, and just listen beyond the first verse, if you would, for a minute. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you have trials of various kinds. Listen, I know you don't want to hear that part. That sounds almost cliche and bumper sticker. It's like, count it all joy when you have hardship. Because who makes, who, who's happy about hardship? Who's happy about struggle? Who's happy about trial? But the verse continues and begins to make sense when he says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let God use you in the midst of trial because it will build you into the man or woman God is creating you to be. It's trial that refines us. It's in hardship that God reveals himself to us in unique and powerful ways. It's not in the easy times. It's not in the comfortable. It's in the hardship. 
And right now, we have to remember, it's in the struggles, it's in the trials that God uses this, not just to reveal himself, though that is amazing, but also to shape us and make us to be who he's created us. So what if this set of circumstances, these specific trials that we're in right now, here in America, here in our home, here in L.A. County, what if these are the things that God is going to use to make you the man or the woman that God has created you to be? Can you wait patiently knowing God is engaged, God is present, God is here? Can you, can you anticipate God is powerful, God will do, God can do the things I cannot, and I won't take them into my own hands? Can you know that God knows the future and uses it for His glory and for our good? Can you know that and can you trust in the God who loves you so deeply? Will you pray with me? God, at Generations Church, we want to be a faithful generation of Christians who love you and pass on our faith to the next generation. We want to be that link in the chain that goes, before, goes between the generation that came before us and the one that comes after, and we want to faithfully pass off the gospel to the next generation. We want to do that so that they can worship God better than we did, so that they will be better followers of yours than we did. And maybe this crucible of struggle right now, of coronavirus and racial tension and politics being the ugliest we've probably ever seen them in our lifetimes, Maybe those are the struggles that you're going to forge character in all of us out of. So God, help us to trust you and know you are here. That you are omnipresent, Lord. That you are always here, always with us. That you're omnipotent, God. You are all-powerful. You can do all things that we trust in you. We don't, we don't try and fix things on our own, but rather we trust in you. We, we submit ourselves to you because you are the one who can fix them. And God, that you're omniscient, you know all things, including the future, and cause it, again, for your glory and for our good. God, would you remind us of your character today? Will you use us this week as we remember that these trials are not beyond you? In fact, these trials are not even beyond the things that you have already done in history, and that you have, you have captured these stories for us, this history for us, so that we can know you and know how good you are, that we can see you, and you can reveal yourself to us, Lord. We love you. We thank you, God. Thank you for being here with us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.